Well, good morning, everybody. Why did this morning come earlier than it did last week? I don't know. It seems early. I don't know. Maybe we're crazy to try to uh, understand Jesus so deeply so early. <laughs> I don't know. Today, we're going to... Yeah. You know, that was the gift from God. He, he was, he was teasing me. You had two weeks and you got through 11 verses? And then he came back to me and said, well, I did what you did. I only did four verses. So it's good to hear I've been telling you only did three. Three or four. Three or four, so. Three, okay. So. It's, uh, it's the subject matter. Right? How do you how do you get taught by the greatest teacher that ever lived? How do you get taught by God Himself? And it you know be easy. Not that we want to make it necessarily complicated for that sake, but we wanna we wanna squeeze that lemon to get everything we can out of it, right? So I really don't know where we are, but I I'm gonna start in twenty. Does that make sense? Is that about? Well, you're skipping a couple, but that's okay. Okay. They're not important. They're just getting ready to kill Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that where he was, 11? Yeah. He finished at 11, 17. I thought I'd write these things down. Yeah. But yeah. Thank you. We never even discussed the deal of robbers. Well we will today. So that'll that'll be good. Obviously Jesus has dropped a bomb at the temple. Uh, by turning over the tables, that's that's obvious. He has upset the establishment no end. What's going on in Jerusalem that would lead to this being such a big deal? It's Passover. So literally, the, the city's swelling beyond its its size, you know, four or five times. It's massive. And so what happens during Passover will ripple, certainly throughout Judea, but throughout the world, throughout uh, any place that Jews have come. Like we'll see with Pentecost, right? Uh, there, There's a lot of Jews from all over the world that are there. So... I really hope today we can have that aha moment to understand Jesus and understand how he taught, the the way he taught. As much as people, I think, love Jesus, study Jesus, they don't get this about him. Remember when we did the storm in the sea, when uh, Jesus took the disciples out at night intentionally? Uh, the storm is there. He's not let them sail around the coast. They've got to go over the deep, which scares them. That's where evil comes from. Uh, and he's taking a nap. You know, he's 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 getting some shut eye. 
feet, and they go all the way across into bad areas of town, the place Mama Jews said never go, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee where the Gentiles live, and they meet a crazy man, right? A guy that's chained up in the cemetery, and he's nuts. And so they, Jesus heals him, it's a big deal, and then Jesus says, get back in the boat. And then you have to sort of have this moment where you realize the disciples asking, Jesus, what was this? Why did you sail us through all of this darkness, all of this hardship, for the sake of one man? Is one man really worth it? And then when you get to that right question, then you really get to what Jesus was saying. Yes, the one lost sheep is actually worth it. I want you to face darkness. I want you to face what scares you. I want you to face the power of Satan, frankly, for the sake of one soul. This is an insight into the way Jesus teaches. Not just because he's a rabbi from Galilee. And remember, with rabbis, we've got two schools of thought. We've got two ways of teaching. Uh, Jesus is uh, Shammai, uh, so it's the more conservative form of rabbis, and they teach through what's called story or Haggidah. It doesn't mean they make stuff up, but it means parables. It means real-life experiences, so you see something in life, and you take that, and it opens up the scriptures. Jesus is always doing that. On the other side, you have Hillel which are the Pharisees. Hillel believes you've got to come up with practical rules so people can take what the Bible said and apply it to today. Classic example we've looked at is fasting. Fasting is actually not commanded in the Torah, in the Old Testament, uh, which is funny because there's a lot of things that are commanded in Torah. The closest you can get to fasting being uh, asked for is a sort of maybe on the Day of Atonement for priests, just for priests. So the Pharisees have halakha, which is their rulings, their, their rules to make the Bible apply to today. And they said, well, we can't be sure that God wanted us to fast at Yom Kippur, but we shouldn't be wrong. So just to be safe, we're going to have everybody, not just priests, but everybody, because we don't want to be wrong, everybody fast once a week. Well, maybe twice a week. And so we went from maybe to every week, twice a week, everybody. And so, I mean, this is just a radically different way. Everybody loves Scripture, but they're they're dealing with it in a very different way. So really to look at Jesus, he is taking real-life examples. He's taking experiences. They're opening up, explaining the scriptures. He's doing that now with a fig tree. Now, you guys were already ahead of the curve, certainly figuring it out. But what what's the big question that Jesus wants us to ask about the fig tree? Why? Well, this is bare fruit. Why? Well, season. Why? Okay, so why did he expect it? That is the question. That is the question. So we have a fig tree. Jesus didn't have breakfast. 
Um, he sees leaves on the fig tree, but it's not season. It's not season for the fig tree. And he gets mad. And what does he do to it? Curses it. Curses it. Not only does he curse it, um, we'll read um, in verse 20, uh, he cursed it from the roots. He killed it. He killed it for all time. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it was withered from the roots. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered. So, actually was looking at a commentary, a modern crazy liberal, that said, this proved that Jesus is just mean. He's vindictive. He hates trees. He killed a tree for no other reason than it didn't give him what he wanted. Again, if you find yourself asking those questions, you, you realize Jesus is doing something and you need to pay attention. He's teaching his Talmudim, he's teaching his his students like a rabbi. Jesus is doing something a little out of character, a little, little strange. i got to pay attention. This is how he teaches. This is a pop quiz even. So, why did he expect the tree to have fruit or Maybe he didn't, and he's just making an object lesson. Uh, why does he expect it to have fruit, and why is he cursing it? I mean, Jesus uses his power to heal, right? Uh, and we love to tell those stories. Jesus curses a good deal, too, lest we ever, you know, let the PR companies run away with him. Uh, blessing is what God wants more of. Cursing is what God wants less of. And so he works in both areas. So he doesn't want this fig tree anymore. Why? And Jesus, he could have grown figs on a thing like that. Right? So in my mind, it was a lesson. It's it definitely, definitely a lesson. Um, he, he could have done the miracle. He could make it happen. But he doesn't. Would it have been a warning for Israel and by extension us to be in season all the time? You said that before and I really like it. So you should bear fruit even when you're not in season. But but dig dig deeper. Why? Hey, I know. Yeah, I'm with you, brother. It's early. I think it was because of his death and you're not supposed to touch death. I think it was a representation of the rabbis of why haven't the leadership they're bearing leaves, they should be bearing fruit. Right. So so f- follow that for a second. If it's not bearing fruit, it's not what? It's not good. Right. The whole point of this exercise, boys and girls, is that you bear fruit. And Jesus will say this over and over in different kind of ways, from the vine to the fruit, all that. So this is, would not be a new thing. I think the disciples would have got this pretty quickly, that the nation of Israel, and I think we always, when we say that, we have to add the extension, us, we're supposed to bear fruit. But, is it really reasonable to say that out of season we should bear fruit? Are you always supposed to be good and perfect? Are you always supposed to? I mean, supposed to be? Yes. 
Well, are you, I mean, I tell you, as a pastor, that's a one-way ticket to one-way ticket to the mental ward, right? If you're always perfect, I mean, he lets. That's not what you said. Well, okay. We're supposed to be, but we're not. Well, okay. The soul is dying. Well, I, I, I like it, but um, it takes a lot to bear fruit for a tree. I mean, if you think about it, when a flower blooms, it's killing itself. So think about when, like, we as men have to do the super things for our kids or really listen to our wife. <laughs> That's terrible. But it takes it takes something, right? It takes emotional energy. And so I, I want us to dig deeper than to say we're supposed to. This is this impossible example Jesus set. We're never going to do it. But we think it's supposed to happen. Jesus grew up around farms, right? In, in Nazareth. People in this world understand. Uh, is, is Jesus wanting a, a mutant fig that always produces fruit? I, I think, I think it's deeper. Why would he expect this to bear fruit? And as frustrating as this is, I think this is the way you would act like a disciple. Right? Because he's letting them think about this overnight, and then he's coming back to it. Uh, oh, there it is. Okay, say more about that. He's in the land of the living. He didn't expect any death or in the city he entered. What what was the death in the city? Well, we're speaking about the fig tree, so Yeah, yeah. And he does he does kill the fig tree because it didn't bear fruit. Alright, so he quoted last week um Jeremiah. I mean he, he he's pulling from two different sources. Uh, he was quoting the Psalms and he's also quoting Jeremiah that the house of the Lord should not be a den of thieves. Okay, one of the things that we're missing, and let me get on a soapbox really quick. Um, the absolute wrong way, I think, to take this is that uh, our sibling is in trouble and we're not. Um, I, I, if you had siblings, I mean, when your parents called you in to get you to lecture you, right, you always assumed, in my case, it was my little sister because she was Satan's girlfriend for many, many years. Um, but it's always my sister's fault, and it really was. I mean, I'm telling you the truth. My parents didn't realize, but it was always really her fault. Uh, my sister is crazy, right? So... A lot of times we turn into the sibling mode here and we say, well, it's the Jews' fault, right? They're our big sibling. Uh, this is the temple. God is sick of the temple. He's sick of the Jews. He's going uh, to kill them, damn them. I mean, it's that really kind of surface information crap that has done a lot of damage uh, between, I think, two halves of God's church. You know, the last hundred years are uh, really important for the nation of Israel. A lot of things have changed. 
on the one hand, uh, Muslims and Jews have become kind of mortal enemies. We think that's been going on forever, but it's really only the last hundred years or so. Who has been the great enemy of the Jew? Well, it wasn't the Buddhists, not the Egyptians, not the Arab. If you ask an Israeli today, who is the great enemy of Judaism? Christians. For 2,000 years, we have been hell on them. Uh, from the Inquisition, to the Russian programs, to the Crusades, uh, to the Holocaust, and I, I'm just hitting the tip of the iceberg. We don't like to hear it, and I think we have to be very honest. Um, this is not a one-sided affair. Uh, when they had power over us in the beginning, they certainly took uh, their pound of flesh from us. But uh, we grew much faster, much larger. We controlled the nations, and we have we have done horrible things. And part of it is because we read Scripture, we don't understand it, and we get it in that sibling mindset. Well, we're we're better. God likes us better. Mom and Dad really do believe I'm the best one. Which is what got Israel in trouble in the first place. <laughs> it's true. They they believe the same crap, right? And so we make fun of them for it, and then we turn around and do the same thing. Yeah. No, that that's absolutely perfect. So it's not it's something I believe um, much deeper than just uh, God likes the church now. Because as we'll see in a few minutes, everything they're guilty of, the church has done in spades for a lot longer period. So, yeah. One thing I haven't heard you mention is the footnotes in uh, Quest Bible Study. Go read those. And it says he was angry at the tree, not only because it didn't bear have fruit, but because it had leaves out of season. So if it had leaves out of season, he expected it to have fruit out of season. Is that make any sense? So any sense to me. What? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. What? One of the things we're going to do when we go to Israel is just spend time with a stinking fig tree. Right? Because Jesus, there's so much of this stuff, like the mustard seed. I've taught on mustard seed for years, and then you sit down and you look at a mustard seed, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so different. So there's a period after the first fruit of the fig tree when it's been harvested, where it still has its leaves before it produces its second uh, batch. So this is, uh, there'll be an early harvest and then a second harvest. Again, everybody knows this. Um, so why, why is he expecting, um, why is he expecting it now? What, one of the things that I think is going on in the background that's really hard to get is there is another holiday, another festival going on at this time, uh, the time of Passover called Tish B'Av. That's a mouthful, Tish B'Av. It is the commemoration of the destruction of the temple. Now, here's the connection I make. Uh, Tish B'Av, what they end up saying is that uh, the, the temple is destroyed twice on the same day. So it was destroyed by the Babylonians on a day, and then in the future the Romans will do it. Well, 
most of the time when Christians look at that connection, we automatically jump to the future, and we don't jump to the past. The way they would commemorate the destruction of the first temple is to read first Lamentations, and then they would read Jeremiah. Specifically, they would read chapter 8 and 9 of Jeremiah, which coincidentally has to do with a fig tree. You think there's a connection? So let's flip over to Jeremiah 8. Now, what do rabbis do when they quote Scripture? Yep, you got to get it all. You got to get it all in there. We probably should have a whole section today on Jeremiah eight and nine. Um, both chapters are dis- are explaining why God is destroying um, the temple. So this is this is in the people's mind, right? This is when God, in the time of the Babylonians, not only overturned the tables, he overturned the whole temple. So in a sense, Jesus was on this holiday. I mean, it's like uh, celebrating the Alamo and, you know, going to a Spanish mission and, and making a big point that Jesus is doing that. Um, let me pick up, this is kind of a long read, but let me pick up in verse 8. I mean, all of chapter 8 is is important, uh, but God is explaining, um, uh, well, I mean, just look at verse 1. In that day, says the Lord, the enemy will break open the graves of the kings and officials of Judah, and the graves of the priests, prophets, and common people. They will dig out their bones and spread them on the ground before the sun, moon, and stars. The gods my people have loved, served, and worshipped. The bones will not be gathered up and buried, but scattered on the ground like dung. And the people of this evil nation who have survived will wish to die rather than live where I will send them. I, the Lord Almighty, have spoken. I mean, God is laying it, it, it down. I am destroying you. I am killing you, as Jesus says, from your roots. Look at verse 8. This is 8.8. 8. How can you say we are wise because we have the law of the Lord? When your teachers, that's interesting, when your rabbis have twisted it so badly, in just a minute he's going to have a knockdown drag out with um, teachers, rabbis, who have twisted the law. The wise teachers will be shamed by exile for their sin, for they have rejected the word of the Lord. Are they so wise after all? I will give their wives and their farms to others. From the least to the greatest, they trick others to get what does not belong to them. What was going on in the temple courtyard? Yeah. They were tricking they were uh, the exchange rate at the airport. You always get screwed. <laughs> it's just a, a matter of course. Yet even my prophets and priests are like that. They offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when all is war. And they are not ashamed when they do these disgusting things. No, not at all. 
they don't even blush. Therefore, they will lie among the slaughtered. They will be humbled when they are punished, says the Lord. I will take away their rich harvests of figs and grapes. Their fruit trees will all die. Literally, does your say fig tree? It's, yeah, their fig tree will die. All the good things I prepared for them will soon be gone. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the people will say, why should we wait here to die? Come, let us go to fortified cities to die there. For the Lord our God has decreed our destruction and has given us a cup of poison to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. We hope for peace, but no peace came. Uh, So this is what they're regularly reading in the temple at this time that Jesus is there. They realize that collectively, individually, they have sinned against God. They have twisted what he wanted them to do. And they have become a dead, a dead fig tree. During the coming of the Messiah, the trees are supposed to continually bloom. Remember Mark's major focus. This is the Basura. This is the coming of the Messiah. So Jesus is playing off of those two things. With him here, it should be different. And at this time that you mourn the temple was destroyed, the time in which you were saying these words, the time in which you are literally reading these as a lament, as our ancestors did this, we should never do this. Jesus is saying to them, you haven't changed. You still make selfish, evil, horrible choices. You take what should be a lighthouse of the world and you've corrupted it. I'm going to tear you out. Now, I was thinking a lot about this um, from my time in March talking to a forest ranger. Why would a farmer rip out a tree? Why? Yeah, 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 you would plow it, but I mean, if you put an orchard in, it's a lot of work to kill the tree, right? Maybe sick. It may be sick, yeah. That's not very good. Right, but what, what's the big deal? I mean, it, it and realize that they don't care about shade, right? It's got to bear fruit because this is what feeds your family. It's not like, you know, we want palm trees that never bear fruit because we don't want to mess with the fruit. They want the fruit, so. <clears throat> Why? Why would you tear it up? Right. Land and yeah. Well, in our world, they do. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> they don't, and they're never going to, and they're never going to have men that have babies. But um, it uses up your water. And that's a big deal. They don't have this endless groundwater. They don't have, uh, you know, rainwater. So there, there's a limited amount. If a tree's not producing, you're, you're going to try to make it produce. And if it can't, you're going to rip it out and put something in that does. We, we all need a big tank. Yeah. To hold, hold lots of water. And so God is sort of, I think, following that through that, you know, there's only so much life. There only is so much living water. And um, if, if you're not going to do what's right, if, because 
This is prime time, right? Everybody has gathered for uh, Passover. People are going to see the teachings of God. Um, then they can go back and spread it to the whole world. <clears throat> but they're not going to come back and tell their people the true story of God when all they can say is, yeah, I went to the temple, it was really crowded, I got cheated, everything was more expensive. And you know, the, the priests and the rabbis are corrupt. They just work for the Romans. Um, Jesus is is not is not having that. Uh, he needs to change the way we make choices. So many times, and I, I think Christians are caught in this this echo chamber of the Jews. The the Jews constantly said, "Well, God will do it. God will do it. God will save us. God has to save us. We're the chosen people. He's going to take care of us." And then, of course, Christians say, stupid Jew. And then we say, well, I believe in the promises of God. God's going to take care of it. I just give it to God. God's going to solve it. And all along, God's like, you know what? Actually, I'm trying to teach you all to do something. This is not a matter that I just sit around and dream all day of what I can do for you. You're children, and I'm trying to raise you. I'm trying to teach you how to be good. So please understand, I'm not going to sit around and let you go through the motions, have the foliage, have the green, be in the presence of God, and not bear fruit. It's not going to happen. I destroyed the temple once, and I'm going to do it again. Now, we, we pick on the temple because it's corrupt. We, of course, as Christians, can look at a long history where we have been so faithful with money, right? Never a scandal has there ever been with church and money. Hmm. In fact, well, you know, to pick on for a moment, if we go to Rome today, the business practices of the Vatican are an inspiration to the world, right? They are so transparent. The, the, the Bank of the Vatican is what the rest of the world looks at for moral treatment of money, right? You know, uh, we look at Methodism. We have been completely transparent as a big bloated bureaucracy. Right before the split happened, uh, Steve and I, there was so much coming at us so quickly, we, we couldn't... We couldn't get it all out. But what one of the things that still continues to be an unresolved mess is that the entire Oklahoma Annual Conference of the Methodist Church has not had an audit for five years. Now, church law requires every year the local church, the district, the annual conference to have an audit. But this was the problem, right? Nobody was following church law. They were having gay bishops. That's against the law. And other things like this, they're not, um, they're not having an audit. Turns out $7 million is missing from the annual conference. Churches that have nothing to do with the, the same-sex marriage issue and all that are refusing to give the conference any more money until they have an audit. This kind of stuff is one why we left. You know, we have 
Linda Johnson here at this church. And let me tell you, Linda Johnson is going to have an audit, probably two if she could get away with it, every year. Um, I mean, it's it, it's no doubt about it. But we we can't get arrogant. We have to be true to what we're called to do. We have to be faithful. What we teach people, what we do. And in a sense, this is a big season for our church um, because we have freedom. And what are we going to do with it? I don't want Jesus to come along and say, you know what? This fig tree called First Methodist needs to end because you're not blessing. You're not really bearing fruit for anybody. And we have to take this, I think, seriously on all these levels that Jesus is presenting this to us. He does want us to be fruit for the world. He does, in his presence, with his help, he expects us to be different from the world, to be able to do something that, in a way, is kind of unnatural. But it's not unnatural when we're really with Jesus. And I I don't say that to be glib, but um, if Jesus is really changing us, um, we need to be able to to share that, uh, to do it all around. So let me stop there a second. Any questions? Was he trying to make the thing look deceitful? It looks like a prune, but then a pomegranate on the inside. <laughs> wait, wait, say that again? The uh, thing. Yeah. It's like a, a prune growing, but then you open it up and it looks like a pomegranate on the other. Right, right. So yeah, you know, again, that we need to spend more time with fig trees. We we do. Um, they have this green little knob um, before they turn into a prune, right? Um, and I think that's what it had at this point. So that if it was a natural tree, I don't know, but. Um, it's these real milky little green buds that they have. And you can't eat that. I mean, it's got to grow into like the pomegranate, uh, like you say, before it's uh, it's in season. But um, I, I don't think it, it had anything edible at this point, which it wasn't supposed to. Um, but God does love pomegranates. Um and we talked about it, hopefully you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, the, the fig tree is also an emblem for Israel. Um, that's what the temple is decorated in. Pomegranates, like you say, fig trees, and seraphim. Um, when we design our church, we don't give a crap what God thinks about design. We use stained glass and crosses ah, because we know better, right? Um, I've never seen... A church or anything developed with uh, fig trees in and out of season, pomegranates and and angels or seraphim. But so back in the passage from Jeremiah, we got that the teachers would be twisted; uh, they would not deal with the mortal wounds of the people. They wouldn't teach God in the way that is true to Scripture. So without missing a beat, at the time in which 
the priests are reading these scriptures. This is why I think this Tishbaav stuff is important. Uh, this is their so-called lectionary reading. Then, verse 27. By this time, they had arrived in Jerusalem again. As Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the others came up to him. So this is the extremes of Jewish political society. The priests, the Kohen, who are the hereditary uh, sort of aristocracy, these are the leaders because they are descendants of Aaron. And the one group they hate more than Jesus are the Pharisees, who are these uh, egalitarian, uh, self-taught, merit-based people trying to make the law applicable. So that they unify for anything is unusual. They demand it. By whose authority did you drive out the merchants from the temple? Who gave you such authority? Now, I think on some level, they get that Jesus was living out the scriptures from Jeremiah. That Jesus was acting as God. And he was tearing down the temple at this moment as they are remembering the, the, the destruction of the temple. So they're trying to ask him, do you really think God told you to do this? Or do you really think you are God? If they can get him to say, you are God, what can they do to him? They can kill him. Which we've already been told in Mark is what they're scheming. Right? So, uh, this is a, uh, uh, a battle of rabbis. They got the priests there, but they're dumb. Uh, so it all starts with questions, right? They ask him a question. Uh, where did you get this authority? And what do you know about trying to have a rabbi battle with Jesus? <laughs> you lose. You lose badly. He's going to, uh, beat you, uh, shame you. So look what Jesus does. I will tell you who gave me authority to do these things. If you answer one question, Jesus replied, did John the Baptist, or did John's baptism come from heaven or was it merely human? Answer me. So Jesus is doing a couple things here brilliantly. He is taking the role of a senior rabbi. So a disciple has come, that's why he's treating them, has come to ask him a question. But he's taking the role of a senior rabbi that is going to determine whether this student is worthy to receive the answer. So the uh, rabbi is going to ask a, a probing question. Do you actually know what you're talking about? Do you know enough scripture that we can have a conversation? And so he does this, in a, in a sense, by asking the, the question, uh, where did John the Baptist get his authority? So uh, Jesus is insider baseball here. What, what do we know about John the Baptist and his baptism? What, what was John the Baptist doing? Yeah, he ends up doing that. But what, what did he do, start doing in the beginning? Who is John? He's a cousin, and by birth, he's a what? Priest. 
He's a priest, and that's really, really important. Now, he's this miraculously born priest child, right? And he serves as a priest his whole life, like his father did, right? No, he leaves. He says, forget you all. Why does John the Baptist leave Jerusalem? Corruption. That's exactly right. The priests are working with the Romans. They're corrupt. It's it's exactly what Jeremiah 8 was telling us. They're twisting it, the word. They're not doing anything. So remember, John the Baptist, even before he becomes this prophet for the Messiah, he says, look, things are so bad in Jerusalem. It's a mess. We should leave, go back to the desert like our ancestors did. We should, in a sense, wander for 40 years and start over. And this was a big blow, right? This miraculously birthed uh, son of the priests. Everybody knew about his father. He doesn't have any faith left. So again, Jesus is once again pointing out what's wrong with the temple. He did it with a fig tree. He did it with turning over the tables. And he's bringing up to them, how is it that the golden child that you all loved so much said that things are so bad here that we're so not who God called us to be? The thing that we as Jews should do is go back to the desert and rebaptize ourselves in the sense that we should realize we're Gentiles. We're, we're <laughs> baptized pagans, as we say. Uh, we've been through the motions, but we're dead inside. So we should go through the humiliating process of saying we're not Jews, and we're going to try to be Jews again by going into the mikvah or the, the river and becoming Jews again. So Jesus wants the answer to this question. Can you see the corruption? You're reading the scriptures. You have had this experience with John the Baptist. Can you see, this is what Jesus really wants to know, can you see what's wrong? What our faith has become. So, verse 31. They talked it over amongst themselves. If we say, and I don't come up with many appropriate good phrases, but I was thinking about this this morning. Jesus's tool to get us to grow is why. Always remember that. Why. Satan's tool is the word if. So, they come back with, if we say it was from heaven, he will ask, why didn't we believe him? But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of the people that they would start a riot, since everyone thought that John was a prophet. So they replied, we don't know. So Jesus has taken this senior rabbi role. If a disciple comes and asks you questions, before you give him your answer, you give him a little diagnostic question. Do you know enough about this? Will you be honest enough about this that we can have a dialogue? And so, in a sense, Jesus gives them an F on this pop quiz. He says to them, then I won't answer your question either. You're not listening. You don't know enough. You're not clear enough for us to do this. So no answer from you. 
I think as painful as this is, this is a powerful lesson into how conversations will go with God. If you're not digging deep, if you're not asking why, if you're not honest about what's going on in here, if all you can do is blame Rome, if all you can do is blame the Jew, if all you can do is blame somebody else in your life and not take the ownership to realize, okay, who am I really? God's singular goal is not just to save me. He will save me. That That's important. But he wants you to choose righteousness. He wants you to choose love. He wants you to be a fig tree that can bear fruit. In the presence of God, we should be different. You know, the final thing I'll say, because we ran out of time, um, what started Methodism was that John Wesley, and, and there was a bigger movement before him, it was called Pietism. And it was this idea that People go to church their whole life, they get baptized, they take communion, and they're still as rotten and mean and nasty as as anybody else. Uh, something ain't working. We gotta figure out how to how to change that. And so that's whether it was the Baptist tradition, Methodist tradition, it was this idea that we actually should be different people if we're in the presence of Jesus. And all that we talked about here today, I think that sums it up pretty well. If you're really following Jesus, you should make different choices. So let me stop there. Comments, questions, worries? Yes. Does the death rule just pertain to flesh and blood? Does the what? Death rule, for lack of a better word, don't touch death. Oh, that's a good question. Um, it, it's dead animals or dead people. <laughs> yeah. It's just flesh and blood, that's it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you could touch wood or something like that. It's a dead tree, yeah. So who did the burials? Who did the burials? The family had to do it, um, and then well, it, they were unclean. Yeah, they had to go go make it right, and that's one of the reasons they do it really, really fast. Um, they get it in the ground. Authority. So early on, Jesus talks that some of his authority. I mean, he doesn't say it, but he acts as if his authority comes from God. He gives authority to his Talmudim. Mm-hmm. And then he mentions in Mark 10 that, that the Roman leaders give authority. To their, well, right, their soldiers, their unit, yeah. And so this, I think this authority word is a big deal. They recognize that Jesus has authority, right? They'll say that about him. It's Shimcha. Um, it's it's um, it's God-given ability to speak. Yeah. All right. Well, Jesus is probably going to check you later today. Um, fill up your fruit. That sounds bad, um, but you you look good. Um, fake it till you make it. Let's pray real quick. Father God, help us. We know this was a lot early, but we know it matters. We are told these stories of so many before us and how they failed. 
so that we won't. We have been warned. We have been taught. May we really appreciate, O Lord, that you yourself have spoken to us this morning. You have taught us. Help us to understand we need to produce. We need to choose differently. We need to be like you. You are with us. And with that, we do have authority. Help us to use it, not to cheat, to lie, to do what we are always going to do, but pretend otherwise. May we be like you. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.